Well, as I said earlier, from chapter 8, those more familiar patterns of Christ's earthly ministry start to be recorded. And that will continue right to the end of chapter 20 in Matthew's Gospel. At chapter 21, uh, Jesus enters into Jerusalem for the final week of his life. One of the things that Matthew brings clearly to our attention is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this man, Jesus, can only be God. Chapter 8, uh, chapter 7 concludes with this astounding authority as he teaches. No one's ever heard the likes of this before, because he was and is and always will be the Word of God since the world began. And now, added to that, we see his power to heal. And he confronts us uh, with these two realities, that when he speaks, he speaks like no man has ever spoken before. And he also has this incredible power over the world that he has made. Of course, one of the dangers, and it was a danger realised amongst many of the people who were there at the time, One of the dangers is that you get so caught up with the thrill of the spectacle that it's only the thrilling spectacle that you want to see. And many of the people in Jesus' day started to think that way. Of course, what it ought to do is convince us completely of who Jesus is and of the claims that he makes about himself and the claims that are made about him elsewhere in the Bible. It ought to cause us to conclude that only God could do this. There's only, there's one very distinct difference between Jesus and all of the prophets of God who've gone before him. The prophets would all speak in God's name. They would say, thus says the Lord. In other words, I am simply a channel between you and God, as we've just heard about with the children. God has given this message to me, a man, and I am now passing that message on to you. But there's a very vital difference with the Lord Jesus. He speaks in his own authority. Verses 10 and 11, I say to you, because he is God, he doesn't need to speak through another man in the way that the Old Testament prophets did. I say to you, 13 times in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll find that phrase used, I say to you, where he adds his own voice to the voice of Scripture, because of course, even all the Scripture is his voice. And at the the conclusion of his teaching, Matthew introduces to us a series of events which I think we can rightly understand as all having taken place on the same day. That's certainly the way the text reads, uh, concluding with an event that happens in the evening in verses 16 and 17. And as we look at what takes place as he comes down from the mountain, I want to bring to your attention three particular things about the Lord Jesus Christ which are revealed in this passage. The first thing is the willing Jesus. He is willing. Down from the mountain he comes, 
heading for Capernaum with this huge crowd of people around him. And there he is approached by this man who's been stricken with leprosy. Now, the, the, the disease which we call leprosy today is something very specific. It's something which is treatable today. And most doctors would refer to it as something called Hansen's disease. In the Bible, leprosy almost certainly included that, but was actually probably a little bit broader than just that one disease. You can read about these things back in Leviticus in the Old Testament if you want to. You can have a look in chapters 13 and 14, where it talks about the different skin conditions that people might have, and they, the way they would have to come to the priest, uh, the way that would have to be dealt with, uh, the way that they would have to go into self-isolation and then come back and see what's happened to it or not. And then if it is proved to be leprous um, by the priest, uh, what then must happen? Leprosy, uh, as we understand it today, it's a disease that affects the skin. It produces a change in the appearance and the texture of the skin. Of the skin, it affects the nerves in the skin. It produces a gradual deformity, uh, because of mainly because of the injuries that happen, and the person who has those injuries can't feel them, and infection sets in. Uh, leprosy can result in painful sores and ulcers, uh, the loss of fingers and toes. Facial deformities can occur. Often the vocal cords would be affected by leprosy. The voice would deepen and become gruff. And it's also recorded that leprosy produced a very unique and distinguishable odour from the skin. And you would always get to the point where you cannot hide leprosy. It's the kind of thing you can keep covered up for a while, keep to yourself for a while but eventually it just gets too bad, too severe. You simply can't hide it anymore. And there in Leviticus, you see the, the procedures that God had put in place. Because many of these things were by various degrees contagious, uh, the law of God in Leviticus required them to separate from family, from community. It was declared by God to be a form of uncleanness, which meant that they couldn't even attend public worship because of this condition that they had. The result of that was that lepers became social outcasts. They would start to live together in small communities and they would be reliant often upon the kindness of family and friends to help keep supporting them and helping them. It was a dreadful thing. Of course, this was the disease that gave, gave rise to the the well-known story of Naaman, the Syrian commander in the Old Testament. Now frequently, certainly in Jesus' day, uh, those who had leprosy would often be told that this disease had come upon them as a judgment from God. There must be some sin that you've done that has brought this upon you. And perhaps... That is reflected in the request that the leper brings to Jesus in asking Jesus not simply to heal him, but to cleanse him. Now, there are a few occasions in the Old Testament when leprosy was inflicted as a judgment by God. Uh, 
Two examples are Miriam, Moses' sister, and Elisha's servant. But Jesus, at the same time, made it very clear in his teaching that you can't look at someone's individual circumstances and just automatically conclude that if something bad is happening to them, that that is because of some personal sin that they've done. But there is this idea of uncleanness around leprosy. Um, even in the book of Leviticus, regarding these skin diseases, you'll see there it uses the term cleansed if they find they're cured. And with all of those things in mind, uh, the fact is that in New Testament times, leprosy was often seen as a real disgrace. It wasn't just an illness that this poor person has to deal with. It was actually seen as a disgraceful thing to have. Great social stigma attached to it. Here is an unclean person. That's how lepers were viewed. Unclean physically and spiritually is how lepers were viewed. And to be anywhere near them would be to put yourself in grave danger, to be likewise infected and to be likewise made unclean. It's a really pitiful picture as this leprous man stands in front of Jesus. He's an outcast amongst friends and family. He has to live in so social isolation for the rest of his life unless some remedy can be found. And there is no remedy Except something tells this man that in the Lord Jesus Christ there is hope. Now we need to be careful not to say more about this than the Bible actually says. But we note three very important details here about this man. Number one, we're told he worships Jesus. Number two, we're told he calls Jesus Lord and number three, he submits to the will of Jesus. And they are three quite remarkable things. And we can't know precisely what understanding this leper had about who Jesus was. But we can certainly see that if anyone is ever going to approach Christ, this is the way that Christ ought to be approached. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him or correct him for speaking that way. This is always the appropriate way to respond to the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. Have you responded to Jesus like this leper did? Are you a worshipper of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you that because you know deep within your soul, that he is Lord and deserves nothing less than your worship? That he is God? That he is King of kings? That he is worthy of all praise and worship? First and foremost, to be a Christian is to be a worshipper of God. 
because to do that puts God in his proper place. It honors God. It exalts God. It puts you in your proper place before him as one who can but fall on your knees before him and offer him all thanks and praise because he is everything and you are just the dust of the earth. Does that describe you and your life? Humbled in worship at the feet of Christ. That's where your Christian life and walk begins. That's where the Christian life and walk continues. Humbled before Christ as your Lord and your Saviour. That's how and where you enter that narrow gate that Jesus was talking about towards the end of his Sermon on the Mount. That's how and why you continue along that difficult path that he calls you to walk. How do you get through that gate? How do you walk that difficult path? You do it humbling yourself at the feet of Jesus. That's how. Confessing him as Lord and in submission to his will. So we sing, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Saviour. I surrender all. The question is, do you? In full and glad surrender, I give myself to thee, thine utterly and only and evermore to be. But do you? Have you? Will you? A humble worshipper before the Lord, in submission to his will. Lord, if you will. The leper that day was to discover that he was in the place that would lead him to peace and rest and hope and joy. A humble worshipper at the feet of the Lord of glory in submission to his will. That is the place of hope and peace and rest for your soul and everlasting joy. And look at Jesus with this man. The crowd would have been absolutely astonished. We probably can't really take in just how amazed the people would have been the way Jesus responds to this man. He does the unthinkable and he does the impossible. He does the unthinkable thing. He reaches out and touches him. He does the impossible thing. He heals him. And we're told it was immediate cleansing. There are people everywhere, remember. Many of them probably know this man struck down with leprosy. And in front of their very eyes, the leprosy is gone. There's no doubts here. There's no trickery here. There's no sleight of hand taking place here. This is, this is not some magic trick. This is not some illusion. 
This is real, in front of a vast crowd, as the man is made whole. Who would touch a leper? Jesus would. Who can heal a leper? Jesus can. Can you see him? Will you see him? Will this man infect Jesus? No. But Jesus will cleanse him. There is no cure for leprosy. But there is one who by the power of his word may bring instant, immediate healing and cleansing for this leper. Put yourself in the shoes of the leper for a second. As he stands before Christ and he's made his request. And everyone's waiting to see what's going to happen next. But more than anyone, the leper is waiting to see what's going to happen next. And to his astonishment, and to his amazement, he hears three words. I am willing. Isn't that remarkable? I am willing. None of us can imagine the impact those words had on that man. And then he's still trying to work out what it is that Jesus has just said. And before he, know it, he knows it, he's been touched and the leprosy is gone. God, in the person of the Saviour, ready to respond to those who will humbly fall at his feet to confess him as Lord in submission to his will. You do that, and here's the response you will get from Jesus. I am willing. I am willing to receive you. I am willing to accept you. If you will do that, if you will fall before me, if you will acknowledge me as Lord, if you will submit to me as Lord and Saviour, I am willing. He's willing. So why will some of you not yet come? Why would you not plead with him? Why would you not ask him? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to receive. And Jesus tells this man not to make a big deal of this. <laughs> Pretty hard not to. But he says, no, stay off WhatsApp, stay off Instagram, don't tell anyone. Go back to the, go back to the priests and do what you're commanded to do in Leviticus. It's all written down there. The priests know what to do. You go back and go through all of those uh, things that the law requires. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus uh, doesn't say to the man, because I'm here now, you don't, you don't need to worry about what the Old Testament says, because I've come to do away with everything to do with the Old Testament. He doesn't say that. He says, do what the law requires. Go to the priest. Go through the correct procedures so that you may be pronounced clean to all the people. And, interestingly, so that the priests can see what I have done to you. 
And Jesus sends this man to the priests as a testimony to them. Surely they're going to ask him, how on earth has this happened? Surely he's going to tell them. And the testimony of Christ in his earthly ministry is being established and developed. And people are are starting to see and hear what he can do. And they're starting to question. Who, Who can do these things? All the people coming off the mountain are talking about this great authority with with which this man has been teaching. And now the priests have this former leper stood in front of them with with skin like a newborn baby's skin. Who can do this? Only Christ. Only Christ as he reveals himself in all his godliness. The man who is God. How can he be anything else but God? And he's the willing Jesus who's ready to accept unclean sinners who will come to him. And the second thing we see in the next story is that he's the Gentiles, Jesus. He's come for everybody as he has this dealing with the Roman centurion. You couldn't ask for a greater contrast than being taken from a Jew who was desperately ill to a Gentile who is perfectly well. Two complete opposites. And not just any old Gentile. A Roman centurion, a senior officer of the foreign occupying nation in Israel, Rome. And note again how the centurion addresses Jesus. A very, un, a very unexpected way for one so prominent to address a Jewish carpenter from up north, Nazareth. A Roman centurion for whom, if he's a true Roman, Caesar is God. There's something about this Jesus that just keeps impressing itself upon people such that even this Gentile Roman would address Jesus as Lord. Lord, he calls him. This is more than mere politeness on behalf of the centurion. That becomes clear as he starts to speak and as he explains to Jesus his predicament, as he brings to Jesus his need, and as he explains that he knows that this Jesus only has to say a word, and it will be done. And once more, the willingness of Jesus comes to the fore. But here, we see in in the centurion a man who, confronted with Christ, immediately also is filled with a sense of his own unworthiness. So for the leper, the issue there has been, is Jesus willing? For the centurion, the question is this, will Jesus respond to the likes of me? Will Jesus respond to the likes of me? I'm an unworthy Roman Gentile. Will Jesus listen 
to someone like me? Does Jesus care about someone like me? And what we notice in Christ is that even before the centurion has been able to make his actual request to Jesus, Jesus is ready to respond to his need. It's absolutely wonderful what we read there. As, as Jesus meets this man, Lord, my servant is lying home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. But he hasn't actually asked Jesus for anything at that point. And what's Jesus' immediate response? I'll come. I'll make him well. Centurion hasn't even asked him for anything. And yet Jesus responds. But still the centurion has this fear. But yes, but I'm so unworthy. So unworthy. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. I'm not worthy to have you inside my house. But I absolutely believe that you can help someone like me. And there's this amazing declaration of a reality that this soldier has seen in Jesus. As a soldier, he knows what it is to be under the authority of his seniors. There are those back in Rome, and he is under them, and he, as a centurion, is carrying out his orders. And he, as a centurion, has loads of soldiers under him. And he knows what it is on a daily basis to just issue orders and instructions left, right and centre. And as he stands there, all these men are running around doing everything he's asking them to do. I speak, they do. My superiors speak, I do. I understand how this works. And I understand this, Jesus. You only have to speak and it will be done. The centurion, maybe not really realising the depth of what he's saying, says something about Christ which is so important. This Jesus is God. He is this eternal word who we read of in the opening verses of John's Gospel. He only had to speak and everything that has been made was made just from his voice. Such is your power and authority, says the centurion. I know you only have to say the word and the world you have made must obey you. This is quite remarkable what this centurion is saying. Probably even the disciples of Jesus haven't got this far in their understanding yet. And yet here's this Gentile man. But will Jesus say the word for me? Will Jesus say the word for my servant? Or is this Jesus for the Jews only? Well, that was yet to be seen, but it's about to be seen. And in God's wonderful providence, here is an opportunity early in his ministry for Jesus to demonstrate and to declare that he has come into the world for the world. He's come to save those who will belong to a far greater kingdom. A, a kingdom far greater than Israel. A kingdom far greater than Rome. A kingdom that will be eternal and that will last forever. Many will come from east and west 
sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This is for the whole world. I've come for the whole world, says Jesus. People will be drawn into Christ's kingdom from every tribe and tongue and nation as the one descended from Abraham through whom all nations truly will be blessed. And here he is in the person of Christ. And the opposite side to the coin is declared by Christ as well in verse 12, that there will be many who've heard his sermon in chapter 7. There'll be many in Israel who think they're in, but actually they're out. And they only have a lost eternity waiting for them. As for this centurion, on the basis of his faith in believing in Christ, and that is Christ's verdict of him, the servant back in the centurion's house is healed at that very moment. As all of this is taking place, the servant back home is healed. By the time the centurion gets home, that servant will be back on his feet, standing at the door, ready to serve him. What was wrong with the servant? What's his diagnosis? Well, we're not sure. We're told he was paralysed. We're told he's tormented. Is he tormented by his predicament? Is he tormented because he's also filled with some kind of uh, demonic spirit? I think I'd be fairly tormented if I found myself to be paralysed all of a sudden. What's actually going on with this servant back in the centurion's house? Well, we don't know. We don't need to know. The only thing that matters is that the one who knows all things knows. And so he only has to speak and it is done. He's made well. So we have a leper, an outcast in Israel, a Gentile centurion, not even part of Israel. Both of them see and understand something. Both of them see and understand enough. This Jesus is the one who must be worshipped. This Jesus is the one before whom I must fall and address him as my Lord, because this man is God. This Jesus is the one who is willing. This Jesus is the one who has all authority. This Jesus is the one of whom I am not worthy but he would have me come to him still. This Jesus is the one to whom I must come in submission and by faith in believing. And dear friends, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Jesus Christ is still who he is. This is how you must respond in repentance of your sins, if you would know his cleansing power, he has that cleansing power still. He's willing to cleanse still. Even me, you might ask, even you. So will you not come? Would you not seek him? Would you not ask of him? And then one final thought from this portion of God's word is the compassionate Jesus. The compassionate Jesus. Now, Capernaum was a fishing village on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Um, 
probably only a very tiny little place. It's the home of one of the disciples of Jesus, Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew. They enter Peter's house, and as they go in, there is Peter's mother-in-law, sick with a fever. Now, Luke actually records this event. He tells us that they actually had spoken to Jesus concerning her. Matthew doesn't record that. If it had been significant, I'm sure he would have done. But Jesus simply sees her. And as soon as he sees this lady, desperately ill with a fever, he's just filled with compassion for her. And he simply walks over to her. He doesn't say a word. He simply touches her hand. And immediately the fever is gone. And immediately she feels well. And immediately she can get up off her bed. And immediately she's back to her own self. And she's the typical mother in the household again, wanting to run around and serve everyone and make sure everyone's got something to eat and drink. And she's off, doing what she always does. Instant, immediate. But we see in Jesus such compassion. Just a touch. It's all that's required from the Saviour. Just a touch. These are three amazing scenes and they follow one after the other. It's no surprise that towards the end there, and we'll kind of pick up with this next time round, no surprise at all that as evening falls, Capernaum has never been so full of people who are being healed and are having uh, demons sent out from them and being made well. As everyone around is hearing what's going on and bringing people to Christ and he's receiving them. Christ is asserting his power, his authority. His kingdom is usurping and overthrowing the kingdom of Satan. Satan can do nothing to stop him. Christ is, is supreme over all in his world. A great statement of future intent is being made as well in all of these immediate victories. There are none who can stay Christ's hand. His arm is not too short that he cannot save. There is nothing that can stop Christ from doing what he's doing. Nothing that Satan would love to do can thwart the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is carrying away their infirmities and their diseases there in Capernaum. But that's nothing compared to what he will yet do. And again, nothing will be able to stop him. Were it not for our sin, there would be no diseases. Were it not for our sin, there would be no infirmities that strike people down. Were it not for our sin, that man would never have been a leper. Were it not for our sin, that centurion's servant would never have been ill. Because all of the ills in this world are the result of the fall, the result of our sinfulness. All of creation is groaning under sin. And if these things are to be truly and fully and finally dealt with, then Jesus must deal with our sins. And of course, that's precisely what he came to do. And that's precisely what he did. And all of these healings are a precursor to that. 
does this Jesus have the power? Does he have the authority to do for us and our sins what he says he's going to do? Well, he's laying down before everybody the evidence. Yes, he does. He is who he says he is. He can do what he says he's going to do. The evidence is all around them. And all of us need the healing of the soul that only Christ can bring. And of course, it might prompt certain questions. Number one, is he able? When you open your Bible and you see, yes, he's able. When you might say, but is he willing? When you open the Bible and you look to the cross, and do you really need to ask? Even for me? Even for you? Today is the day to humble yourself before him, to plead with him as the leper pleaded, to plead with him as the centurion pleaded, I'm not worthy, but you are the Lord. And if you are so willing, would you not even forgive me? Would you not even heal and cleanse me? Would you not even do it right now? He is willing. He desires that none should perish. He's filled with compassion. He alone has the power and authority to deal with your sins and to set you free. You, by faith in believing, you need to come to him. You need to trust him. For there is life and forgiveness in his name and in no other. And here on the page of scripture, you see him. And what he does with physical illness, what he does with these who are demon-possessed, he will do for you with your sins. Or are you one of those spoken of in verse 12? Here you are, sat amongst God's people this morning, as were many on that mountain listening to Jesus teaching. And yet you, like so many of them, in one sense you're so near, but... In another sense, you're so very far away and an awful eternity is waiting for you. Because even though you're so close, you'll have nothing to do with him. Would you be so dismissive of Jesus? Would you be so foolish with your own soul that you would reject him and be lost forever when Jesus can do this for you? The, out, the outcast leper came to Jesus. The Gentile centurion came to Jesus. An infirm woman was touched by Jesus. Would you not come to him to receive his healing, life-giving touch? If you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you to look at the Lord Jesus Christ as he's revealed to you in these verses. His teaching has left people dumbfounded. Such wisdom, such authority. Who speaks like this? And now he demonstrates his total authority over the world he's made. But it's an authority which is bound up in compassion and kindness and mercy and grace. On what grounds would you ever reject such a saviour? How could you ever think that you have no need of such a one as this Jesus? This Jesus is the one who must be worshipped. He's the one who is Lord. He's the man who is God. He's the one who is willing. He's the one who has all authority.
He is the one of whom none of us are worthy. But he is the one to whom we must come in submission by faith, believing on him. Let thy mighty voice be heard. Speak in the word. Speak with power. Pity those who sleep in sin. Preserve them from the sinner's doom. Show them the ark. Take them in. Save them from the wrath to come. If you've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you must come to him today. Receive his healing power and grace. Be saved from your sins. Be set free in Christ Jesus.